Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Man, you guys can be seated. Good morning, Horizon West Church. <clears throat> I want all of you to, uh, to look at this wall over here, okay? Because I know you've been looking at this wall, and I don't want you to get, you know, any crick in your neck. Um, our team is phenomenal. We show up on Sundays, and sometimes we go, oh, we don't have access to something we thought we were going to have access to. And so uh, we're on plan uh, G or H, I think, at this point, but it works, and that's what's going to happen. Um, if I see you looking over there, I'm just going to assume it's not because I have something in my teeth, but that you're following along on the points of the sermon, which is great. Um, while I'm thanking the team, I also want to thank the team and many of you uh, for kind of holding things down last Sunday. Uh, some of you know that me and my family were away. Uh, my grandmother passed a couple of weeks ago. We were able to do the service for her in northern Georgia uh, over the weekend, and then um, I had the added uh, opportunity to fly up to Detroit, Michigan. By the way, it's really cold there. Um, and do a second service. And, you know, the scripture says something that you only know if you've seen this firsthand. Psalm 116 says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And the only reason that's so is because we believe in life beyond the grave. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead and made the way to eternal life available and accessible to us. My grandmother was one who from an early age uh, knew that there was a God and knew that God loved her um, and came to know him personally through faith in Jesus. And so it was a celebration of that. Um, and thank you for those that prayed for me, those that texted encouragement to me. I received that and was strengthened by it. Um, and while I'm talking about family, my parents are here this morning. So they're right back here, um, as well as my uncle and aunt back here as well. So good to, good to be not only with the spiritual family that is Horizon West Church, but also have some, some actual family in the room as well. So, um, you know, as we navigate uh, over the next several, or, or the past several Sundays rather, we've navigated Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians. I told you that there's going to be some seasons where we pause that and kind of talk about something else. And this is one such Sunday where we're going to take a break from 1 Corinthians and for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer. Uh, our team has sensed in 2023 God's invitation to press more deeply into him through prayer. We have explored ways to do that personally as well as ways to invite you to that corporately. A couple weeks ago when we carved out space in the worship service to receive uh, people in prayer, that was a, a result of the impression that we have that God is asking us to press more deeply into him through prayer. And so this series on prayer is also a part of that process of going, God, we want more of you. We want to be in relationship with you in such a way that we easily and regularly come to you in prayer. And so we are titling this series, these next four weeks, What Would Jesus Pray? Primarily, we're going to be in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, but today, we're actually going to start it by setting the table with a teaching that comes out of Matthew chapter 7, one chapter later, that is also on prayer, as we will see. And I want you to know, before we dive in, that the point is not just to get through the next four weeks of teachings, but our hope is that by the end of this four weeks, you will pray more and more effectively. 
that will kind of take prayer out of the, the realm of ritual and put it right into our Tuesday morning and our drive to work and our relationship with our spouses and our children. So we want to do that. And in fact, that is what Jesus does with prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and 7, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So with all of that, um, let me dive into Matthew chapter 7. Read along with me verses 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. This, of course, is a teaching of Jesus, and I would put it in the hall of fame of misunderstood passages of Scripture. This is one that people have come up with some really uh, wrong ways to understand that. We're going to navigate that in just a minute. Uh, Other examples would be Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means something, it just doesn't necessarily mean what it looks like it means on the surface. Or maybe Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, harm you, to give you hope and a future. And and unfortunately, beneath the, the, the rubble of the misinterpretations of these passages, the truth is sometimes buried, and what we want to do is unearth the truth of what was Jesus actually saying when he says to ask, to seek, and to knock. Well, first, here's what he's not saying. Three categories of misunderstanding Jesus' words in Matthew 7. This is not my sermon, but we need to pass through it quickly. Number one, this is not hopeful cliché. Some have reduced it to that and they've turned ask, seek, knock into something of the biblical equivalent of live, laugh, love. (laughs) Like just something to put on your wall decoration, something you saw on a Pinterest board and, and it's inspirational. And Jesus is offering us this hopeful cliche. The problem is that it turns the meaning of Jesus's words into something like God's for you. And turns faith into little more than the power of positive thinking. This is not what Jesus is intending to do in the verses. Secondly, some see it as a money-back guarantee. Jesus said it, so I'm taking it to the bank. This, I believe, is better than the first error because those who believe it's a money-back guarantee at least believe Jesus was saying something. They're attempting to take Jesus at his word. Unfortunately, they've misunderstood quite what that word was intended to say. Those who would interpret these verses as as a money-back guarantee see God as little more than a genie in a bottle. If I rub the lamp the right way, I get what I want. Or maybe a cosmic vending machine. If I push the right button, God gives me everything I ask for. That is not what Jesus is saying in these verses. And finally, some would see this as a deceptive sales pitch. Oftentimes, it's those who believed Jesus was giving them a money-back guarantee, and when they went to cash the check at the bank, it didn't clear, and they go, see, Jesus can't be trusted. I signed the contract, I did what he said to do, and then he didn't deliver on his promise. The problem with that view is that if Jesus can't be trusted as our teacher, then we cannot trust him as our savior. And unfortunately, and I believe unnecessarily, many people have misunderstood the words of Jesus or other parts of scripture, believing that he was some kind of a a cosmic giver of everything that they want. And when he didn't provide, they walked away from faith altogether. That is not necessary to do because Jesus is not giving us a money back guarantee. 
So the corrective lens would be something like this. The words of Jesus, and in fact all of scripture to some degree, reveal to us spiritual laws that govern life in the kingdom of God here and now. Spiritual laws. And it's important that I say that when I say spiritual laws, I'm not talking about retribution laws. I'm not talking about Jesus saying, do this or you'll be punished. Is there some of that in the Bible? Sure there is. But most of the Bible, and in fact, most if not all of Jesus' words, do not work like punitive law. They work in somewhat the way that natural law works. And you know the difference. On Sunday afternoons, there is only one thing on my mind, and it's not eating. I don't eat a lot, if you didn't notice. And what I prefer to do is sleep. I sleep a lot, and I like to sleep, and I like to take naps. And on Sunday afternoon, there's nothing that I love more than to sleep for about two and a half hours. This is not on the couch. This is in bed, with the lights off, with the curtains closed, with the fan on, I'm out. But if I were to decide that a preferable way to nap is to lay down on the 429, I would not be concerned with punitive law, although it is illegal to do that. I don't know if it needs to be said. You're not allowed to sleep on the 429. But the concern would be obviously not punitive law. It would be natural law. Not the concern that I would go to jail for doing that, but the concern that I would be run over by a semi-truck for doing that. And when we talk about spiritual laws, we're not talking about laws that are do this or else, you'll be punished. We're talking about the way life works in the kingdom of God, do this or don't do this at your own peril. See, see, Jesus wants to establish a way of being, a way of living, where we thrive and live what he called the abundant life. And so what we're going to do this morning is look at three of these spiritual laws that govern our life of prayer. So given all of this, what is Jesus actually saying in Matthew chapter 7? That's going to be the answer we seek to establish in the remainder of the message. To get there, let's look again at the context of Matthew 7. I'm going to read for you verses 7 through 11 because it's important that you don't just kind of pick a verse out of the Bible and put it on your wall, but you need to know what Jesus is saying in that passage. So here it is. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you? If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Three spiritual laws that govern prayer. Number one is this, the power of request. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. It's important that I say to you that Jesus is not initially talking about prayer. He's not initially talking about the the vertical way that life works between us and God. He's establishing the principle of a spiritual law that is true even between people on the horizontal plane. The spiritual law at work sounds like this. Simply requesting something that you need comes with incredible persuasive power. Right? And and you know this to be true. If you were to be somewhere near downtown Orlando, let's say you're on John Young Parkway, you're getting ready to turn westbound on the 408, more than likely you're going to see a man or a woman there with a small cardboard sign asking for something. 
They want food or they want money or something like that. I don't carry cash with me, and even when I have cash, there's this kind of mental dance that we all do of, man, it's like, man, I want to meet needs, but I'm not sure if this is the right way to do that, and if I give them cash, they could go spend on whatever. And all of that is happening within me, not because I have a relationship with the person, and not even because I have a responsibility to the person. It's simply that cardboard sign that says I have a need. And the power of the request makes its way inside my vehicle and I keep the window up and I'm trying to just look at the light or pretend like I'm on my phone and it's terrible to say, but we all do it. It's the power of request. Or maybe you're checking out at Publix and you've already spent $7,846 on groceries and they say, would you like to donate to charity? And you don't say this, but you're thinking only if the charity is my children because I have just spent a whole bunch of money, right? But nobody wants to be the guy that goes, no, no, thank you, ma'am. I don't care about charity. <laughs> you don't even, I sometimes don't even know what the charity is. They don't even seem like it matters that I know. They just say, do you want to donate to charity? And unfortunately, I'm in my Horizon West ch- Church t-shirt and, and, and I'm a pastor, so I have to do that. So it's the power of request. Listen, this is even true when a machine asks us, right? All the restaurants now. Would you like to add a tip? And we recommend like 38%. And you're like, man, <laughs> that person didn't even wait on me. I just gave them my money and they put it in the drawer. Like, you sign your name and it's all of that. It speaks to something that's true on the horizontal level before it's even true on the vertical. Jesus is not saying, hey, come around. I'm going to teach you about prayer. He's saying to a group of people that are farmers and accountants and tax collectors, hey, you understand this, right? that on the horizontal plane, there is great power in the simple request. The point is not that we always say yes. Sometimes it's appropriate not to say yes. The point Jesus is making is that even when we say no, it is difficult to do so. I love Dallas Willard's take on this in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He says, the power of asking is so great that it makes many people uncomfortable. Don't you know of people who will go considerably out of their way to avoid someone who is apt to ask them for something? It may even be someone whom they do not know and will never meet again, but they do not wish to feel the power of the request. Who really enjoys eating a sandwich in front of the family dog? Now, some of you got lost on that last sentence, but if you have a family dog, you get it. You make the sandwich... You sit down maybe at the couch, you got a show on, and all of a sudden the family dog puts that paw on your knee and those big soulful eyes, a little whimper, and you're thinking, you didn't make this sandwich. You didn't work the hours to provide the income to go to Publix and spend ungodly amounts of money to, you know, like, this is my sandwich. And yet, there is with us the power of request. It is hard to sit there when someone or something is demanding our time and attention. This, by the way, is also the point of the next two statements that Jesus makes. They all deal with request. First, seek and you will find. Again, Jesus is talking about a spiritual law that works not only in prayer, but just in in life as it happens to us. When you are looking for these and can't find them, it is really hard to stop looking. Even if your spouse or your roommate says, hey, the other set is, and you're like, no, no, no. I don't care about the other set. It's this set. Because we will drive ourselves insane going 
where is the thing? Remote control, you know, whatever. Like, my kids are like, Dad, can't you just push the button? I'm like, no, no, no. We got to find the remote. Why is it missing? When we begin to engage in the pursuit of something lost, it's really difficult to stop pursuing until what? Until it's found. Again, we know this to be true just in regular, plain old life, and that's Jesus' point. And then knock and the door will be open to you. It's 2023, and, and if you knock on my door without texting me, I'm just going to assume something weird is going on. Like, it, it feels like an affront to hear that, like, knock on the door. You're like, what? And typically it's an Amazon package in our house, but, but I'm like, nobody hears a knock at the door and just goes on with their day. The natural response is maybe first to go see who it is, and unless this person looks like they're there to kill you, you open the door. You may not even know them, but as long as they look pleasant and they do the thing you should normally do when you're standing in front of a house, you keep your hands visible, you stand a few feet back, like you're not imposing, right? And so you open the door. Some of you have been in environments where somebody knocked on the door and you were home and you were trying not to be seen and they saw you and it's super awkward. Because <laughs> when somebody's knocking on your door, the natural thing is to open it. Again, this is Jesus' point. When you ask for something, more often than not, you receive it. When you look for something, more often than not, you look until you find it. And when somebody knocks on your door, barring some very rare exceptions, you're naturally going to open the door. There is a boldness in those pursuits that typically generates the outcome desired. Jesus further illustrates the same point in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Listen to the story that he tells. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God nor respect man. Y'all go on to the next slide there. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a little while, the judge refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily, quickly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is here using an exception to prove a rule. Where even if I don't know the person, if they exert the power of request, the power of presence, I'm more likely to give them what is needed. That's the point. And Jesus is going to use that to prove a second spiritual law, which I'm calling the priority of relationship. Listen to these two rhetorical questions again in Matthew 7 that Jesus asks. And, and, and rhetorical meaning the answer is assumed. He says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, is going to give him a stone? The assumption, nobody's going to do that. Or what about a son or let's say a daughter who asks for fish to eat? Who's going to give, him a, give her a snake? And the assumption, no, nobody's going to do that. Right? Because it's natural that we prioritize meeting the needs of those closest to us. Now, a hundred years ago, you didn't know about the needs of individuals and organizations all over the world, but now you do. And now we get requests via text message and email and cell phone and social media. That power is constantly exerted on us. And so it's incumbent upon us 
to prioritize those who are in our own home first. Now, I didn't say this in the first service, but a quick aside, your kids don't need brand new tennis shoes before you can feed a stranger who's hungry. I'm not not talking about that. I'm talking about all else being equal, we will naturally prioritize the needs of our family, especially our children, before those of others. This is so inherent to the human condition that airlines have to tell us in case of an emergency, when oxygen masks fall from the, from the ceiling, do what? Put it on yourself first. Because every mama on board is going to put it on her child first. <laughs> and they know that if you don't keep yourself alive, you can't keep your children alive. But they do it because that's instinctive to human nature. That is a spiritual law at work. I have a friend who shared that years ago he was on a jet ski with a daughter, uh, with his daughter and one of her friends. None of them were wearing, jet, uh, were wearing uh, life preservers, which was their first mistake. And, and he was also going rather fast and the girls were young. And as he took a turn a little bit too sharp, his daughter and her friend were flung off of the back of the jet ski into the lake. And his friend said that he immediately dove in the water and went after the friend. And as he recounted the story later, he said, I knew that my daughter could swim. And I also have a relationship with my daughter where even if she got a little hurt, we could like, you know, make it better later. But I didn't know this friend very well. I didn't know if she could swim. I didn't know what her daddy might think. And so he went to her first. And years later, there was still a a small degree of rift in the relationship because the daughter watched her dad dive into the water and save someone else before her. The reason that that was so powerful a response is that it defied the natural way that life works. We prioritize relationship always over those we are not in relationship with. Now again, Jesus is not yet talking about prayer. He's still just leading us to understand something that intuitively we go, that makes perfect sense. But then Jesus, in the way that a master teacher that he was only could do, is he takes what we know to be true on the horizontal plane and says, now let me show you how this works the same way when it comes to relationship with God. Look at verse 11 again with me. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You need to know that in Jesus' day, the concept of God had become little more than that of a a distant judge or a scorekeeper. Now, it wasn't always that way. The Old Testament is, is, is not like that when it comes to God. The Old Testament prophets, the saints, the patriarchs, they understood the nearness and the loving kindness of God. But by Jesus's day, the entire uh, presence of God had been basically boiled down to keeping score. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, were telling people how many steps they could take on certain days of the week. What they could and couldn't eat on certain times of the day. Like it had become a rigid, moralistic view of God. And so what's really new and revolutionary in Jesus's teaching is that he says, what you know to be true between people is also true between you and God. He is your father. More than that, he is a good and a loving father. And even more than that, as Regan reminded us a moment ago, he is holy. And if it's true that parents instinctively desire to do good for their children and to meet needs, how much more true 
is it that God who is holy and who is a loving father will give you every good thing that you need in life? Pastor David, a few weeks ago, asked our staff this question. He said, if God were to instantly grant you everything you were asking him for, how would your life change? And the honest reflection for me and for some of our team was I don't know that my life would change a whole lot. And, and, I, and I explored that a little more deeply and I came to this conclusion. God is more ready to give me good things than I am often willing to ask for them. Right? The, the, the problem is a, a self-sufficiency. I can meet my own needs. I can pay my own bills. I can spend that ungodly bill at Publix because I have earned the income to do that. And so we move out of a posture of a child coming to their parent independence and we move into a posture of I take care of myself and meet my own needs. And what's amazing in this Matthew 7 passage, this teaching of Jesus, is that Jesus is saying God invites you to bring the power of request and the priority of relationship to bear on him to get what you need. We, we don't have to tread lightly and say, God, I, I know you probably care way more about this, this big thing going on in another part of the world. No, 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 God's big enough. He can care for that and care for you. He says, if, if a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without my father's watchful eye, will he not much more care for you? It's the reason that the writer of Hebrews says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This may go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway, just kind of closing the loop on this idea we explored earlier. Jesus is not teaching, and the scripture does not teach, that you can name it and claim it. You'll, you'll hear TV preachers say that. You, you need a Mercedes, man, you just snap your fingers and God will give it. Like, that's not, that's not it. Sometimes God will withhold the thing that we're asking for because he has something better in store for us. And again, parents, you do the same thing. Your kids go, man, you know what I really want is X. And you go, no, 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 you think you want X. But I'm a little older, I'm a little wiser, and I know that what you really need is this. But can I tell you, in my experience, that's the exception and not the rule. There have been many, many times where I have asked God for something specifically and received exactly what I asked for. He's tuned in. He knows you. He wants you to come as a child with a parent. And the fact that sometimes he stays the spiritual law or, or keeps it at bay does not mean that we should be more reluctant to come into his presence. He is a good parent that wants to richly bless his kids. And so having established these spiritual laws that govern prayer, Jesus completes that picture of life between people in the kingdom of God with a third and final spiritual law in the passage. And I'm calling that the principle of reciprocity. Be glad that you're not the one up here trying to say the word reciprocity in front of a bunch of people. But here's the truth. I had two R's and I needed a third and this one worked. So the principle of reciprocity. In other words, there is a reciprocal nature in the way that these spiritual laws work. This is what Jesus says in the very next verse, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. We call this the golden rule. You may have heard it something like this. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. 
Next to John 3.16, this is probably the most well-known words in all of the Bible, so well-known that most people don't even know it's in the Bible. They just think it's some, you know, wise saying that passed down and, and came to us through the ages. But, but Jesus actually said this. And even those of us that know it's in the Bible and know that it comes from Jesus often lift it, like we do other scriptures, out of context and we don't get a full picture of what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus is saying is that the same spiritual laws that govern prayer, that when we come, we're to, to ask and not demand from God, and then to freely receive and unapologetically. See, some of you have the opposite problem. You can't receive anything without hemming and hawing and apologizing. You know, I'm just, let people bless you. <laughs> let God enrich you. And then Jesus would say, do for others the same way that you would wish that they did for you. See, the world system says something like this. No one else is going to look out for me, so I have to look out for myself. And the problem, if I'm doing my math right, is if we all think that, then we all have one person looking out for us. Right? But life in the kingdom of God doesn't work like life in this world. Life in the kingdom of God says, as God has richly blessed and provided for me, so I will richly bless and provide for others. I will look out for the interests of others and not just my own. And again, if my math is right, if we're all doing that, I now not have just, I don't have just one person looking out for me. I have all of you looking out for me, right? Life in the kingdom, the principle of reciprocity. Now, let me address some of you who come to this Sunday morning church service with, with legitimate hurt. Maybe you had a parent that didn't provide for you. They, they were neglectful or even abusive. Maybe they abandoned you. Maybe you had a husband or a wife that ran out on you. Maybe you've been hurt by a church or a pastor and you're going, I don't know how this can work because I don't feel like I'm receiving from others. This is where the story gets good. This is the beauty of this principle that I'm calling the principle of reciprocity. We do not do for others as they've done for us. We do for others as God has done for us. And this pattern runs like a spine all the way through the New Testament. Let me give you a couple quick examples. John 13, 34, Jesus told his disciples, As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Ephesians 4, 32, Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, I don't love people because of the way they treat me. I don't forgive people because they deserve it. I go, I am loved and forgiven by God, therefore no one owes me anything. This same spiritual law is referenced by Paul in regards to generosity. That's 2 Corinthians 8. Peter references it in 1 Peter 4 in regard to suffering. As God for us, so we for others. As God for us, so we for others. And this reciprocal love, God towards us and us back to God and toward each other, is the singular goal of the entire council of Scripture. I'm going to say that again so that it doesn't get lost on us. Reciprocal love between God and the people of God, the redeemed in heaven, is the singular goal of the entire council of Scripture. Now, it is love that is based on the holiness of God. It isn't my best efforts to love you. It's not what culture says love is. 
It's the love that comes from a holy God to people that we would then learn to glean from and do our best to extend to others. That is what will continue through all of eternity. Paul said, faith, that's not going to continue. One day you're going to see him face to face. You don't need faith. Hope, that's going to come to an end because eventually our hope will be experienced. We'll be living in the good kingdom of God. But these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love because love endures forever. Reciprocal love, God and the people of God, the children of God for all of eternity. This is the point that Paul is making. And it completes our picture of prayer in this way. Jesus said, this is the law and the prophets. In other words, you know why the law was given? Was it to warn you of coming judgment and doom and punishment? God was teaching us what life in the kingdom of love looks like. You know why the prophets came? Was it to scold you and rebuke you alone, but, but to help you come back to this center of the love of God that he has for you and that we're to have for each other. Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. This is the entire commandments. Paul went even further in Romans 13 verse 8. He says, oh, no one anything except to love each other for love is the fulfillment of the law. And so here's how this completes our picture of the prayerful life. Sometimes we come to God like a child with a father and we say, God, this is my need. These are my requests. Could be financial, could be relational, whatever it might be. God invites us to regularly come to him in prayer. Now, this doesn't have to be a 30-minute prayer time to start your morning. You could pray 30 times for 10 seconds throughout your day. That might be preferable. But learn to move naturally with God in prayer the way that a child lives with their parent and gratefully and graciously receives good from their hands. And then sometimes in prayer, God is going to shift you out of that child posture and put you into the frame of mind of the one who is to meet the needs. I've had people reach out to me early, early in the morning and encourage me, say something to me that I know God showed them in prayer that I needed. Because see, this isn't all just money. We're not talking just resources and finances. But sometimes in prayer, after you've brought your needs and requests to God, he's going to make you aware of a need that someone else has. It may be relational. It may be emotional. It may be spiritual. It may be something you need to confront in a friend lovingly and graciously. It might be a check that you need to write. But, but something that God would say, do this as my hands and feet to show my love to someone else. So there's this holistic sense in prayer. We're both receiving from God and we're also making ourselves ready and available to meet needs for others as his hands and feet. So we're going to close the service this way. I'm going to invite us into a moment of prayerful responsiveness before God. And there's going to be two movements to this. As we go into this time, Socrates is going to be playing a, a song behind us, one that's not going to be familiar to you, but can kind of set the tone for what we're doing. Because we're simply going to ask, seek, and pray together. And first, you're going to ask this question. God, what's, what's causing anxiety? What's causing stress? What's causing anger? What's, where is there, there brokenness in my life? In other words, where is there need? And in time of prayer and reflection, as we sing, would you just let that surface? And like a kid with a really, really good parent, would you say, Dad, just take this for me? Or maybe, Father, would you do this for me? 
Would you bring that healing? Would, would you help me have that resource? Would, would you restore what was broken? And do a few minutes of that and then maybe move into a different posture if you feel like you're able to. Where you say, Lord, not just the needs I have, but would you make me sensitive to the needs around me? Make it specific. God, would you show me a need that you're asking me to meet in your name? And as Socrates sings, I want to encourage us to just sit quietly. Maybe you close your eyes. Maybe you look down at the floor. Maybe you put your palms up. Come before your Father. Ask for what you need from him and receive it abundantly in Jesus' name. And then I'll come up and close our service. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.